Hey everyone, Taylor here, and thanks for listening to the Bonfire Briefing Podcast. Sorry if there's a little background noise during the intro and outro. I've got the dishwasher uh, and the dryer running, but uh, really good to be back in my apartment. I flew back in from Tennessee after a a week and a half long vacation, went to visit uh, some friends and family there, but it was a really good time. I even recorded a podcast with uh, my buddy Alex while I was down there, but this week, my guest is the Libertarian candidate for lieutenant governor in Iowa, Marco Battaglia. He's running alongside Rick Stewart to restore liberty and freedom to the state's highest executive office. We talked about a lot, ending eminent domain, returning power to local level office holders, ethanol, ballot access, and so much more. It was a really awesome conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy. Here we go, Marco Battaglia. Welcome to the show. All right. Now, it's, if you want to restart, it's Battaglia, technically. Battaglia. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Wasn't sure if I was going to get that uh, that right or not. Nah, some people, I think, do pronounce it the other way. So. Yeah, I don't know if you know. Um, I don't know if you know Tom Quiter, uh, any or Quiter rather. Uh, I. I messed up his name too when I when I talked to him. I just you know, there's a couple different ways know, you can go with the. I know that I know who that is, but for some reason, I think it's someone I've known a long time. What is what's his story? What's he? Yeah, he he's running um, for something? yeah, he's a uh, running. Oh for yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I met him a couple convention national conventions ago. Oh yeah, no, he was a uh, he was a great guy, but you know, he, you, you could go a couple of different ways with his last name too, and I, I <laughs> t- took the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. But uh, how have you been, man? I know uh, we were going to record this, you know, a while back, and um, I actually got some uh, vacation time, flew back to uh, Tennessee, and you know, visited with my family. But we're finally here, man. How's the campaign trail been treating you? You know, uh, surprisingly. Uh, positive. I really got a lot of positive things to report. Um, for one, I think Rick Stewart has been a great candidate uh, just for Iowans in general, but um, especially a great Liberty candidate because uh, I think he's he's very relatable. He had a successful co-op that he ran here in Iowa, and you know he's been, uh, you know he's he's been a, a Iowan that can relate to other Iowans, but he's also traveled the world a bit and seen a lot of, worn a lot of different hats. Like he ran a co-op, he was a former law enforcement officer, and he's retired while I'm an, I'm still an active duty correctional officer. And we're really short, you know, we're one of the many state agencies that are short staffed. So, um, I get to see that kind of crises firsthand and, and I work, you know, more than 40 hours a week on a regular basis and he is retired. So he can, he's on reg right now, which is the big bicycle, um, across the state event here in Iowa. And, um, he's going to be at the state fair between him and I will be at the state Iowa state fair talking to people, uh, pretty much every day of the fair. So, uh, but yeah, he's been campaigning as I would say as hard as any uh, non-Democrat, non-Republican candidate in Iowa history. So I, I really hope you know we come out strong with 
uh, you know, an end result that shows, shows, uh, uh, some return on all that hard work he's been doing. Oh man. I, um, so I, I actually lived, um, in Iowa. My first job out of college was, a was a financial job uh, in Des Moines area in Iowa. So I'm sure moved up there and I was in financial crimes, uh, for about a decade before I worked in corrections. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the, uh, the Iowa state fair and I gotta say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I live in Texas and, you know, fairs and, uh, things like that are pretty big down here, but you guys take the state fair to the next level. You really yeah. do. The yeah. Iowa state fair for people that, you know, are not aware, never had the, the pleasure of going. It is, I mean, massive, I think is, is, you know, maybe the best word to kind of sum it up into one. I think the, um, the year I went, it was, it was my first year in Iowa and uh, Slipknot was there. Yep. I was at that. Were you, <laughs> I oh actually, man. I come from that, those communities. I'm a bass player and uh, we actually have a really awesome heavy metal concert happening in the Drake neighborhood tonight. But uh, I was out uh, campaigning and passing out campaign materials all weekend so i didn't go to any of the other cool events we had this weekend but i have it works out this one's later tonight so i can get to it oh man it's it's crazy you said i'm i'm a i haven't i have not played in a while but i I was a bit of a bass player back in uh college and i used to you know play stuff like black sabbath and oh yeah that's uh the same places where i came from i uh been playing ever since I was a little kid and it was watching like uh, Cliff Burton and Geezer Butler from Sabbath and Metallica that, that oh, really made man. me want to pick up that instrument specifically. <laughs> but yeah, no. And that's one thing that's cool too, is Rick is, uh, you know, an older candidate. He's retired, which gives him time to campaign around, but I'm uh, younger as far as candidates go. And uh I do come from kind of some different communities like the I played music or worked uh, as a bouncer security for music in pretty much all the venues ranging from the nice ones to the dive bars all around the Midwest. So so um, I definitely have I think uh, I think we're a good team because we we come from some different, very different backgrounds, but we come to a common ground on a lot of the issues and actually a lot of the issues that Iowans are talking about this cycle. It's almost like a perfect storm um, right now. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I wanted to ask what, uh, cause I, you know, since I, I, I live in Texas now and I haven't really been keeping up with, um, with Iowa, Iowa politics since I left the, um, the caucus was actually going on uh, when I lived in Iowa. So there were, you know, all these different candidates traveling around and, and things like that. But, you know, what, what are some of the big issues that, that Iowans are facing this cycle? Um, a, a big one right now. Well, it's actually been big for as long as I've been uh, of voting age um, is how the state uses eminent domain. Mm-hmm. And there's some pipeline, the, some pipeline projects right now that are actually aimed to like sequester carbon. So they're selling it on um, sort of in the, the cell is an environmental reason. So <clears throat> what's really interesting about this issue is in the last decade or couple decades, 
you have pipelines um, for all these different reasons um, and, and different things that they transport or different, you know, uh, different things that they're meant to do and accomplish. So you have, so depending on what type of pipeline it is, um, you'll have people from one side of the political spectrum that are opposed to it. And then if it's a different kind of pipeline or it sells the right way, um, then you have people from the other side of the spectrum opposed to it. I think Iowans are really starting to see through uh, that and, and see that, you know, you can have your own opinion on what kind of project it is, but where we're, what we're really trying to highlight is that if it's not a voluntary agreement for the land use, that we don't want the state to abuse eminent domain uh, just because, uh, you know, the people trying to build the, the project are their, their wealthy donors or influential. Um, um, so, so where we stand is just a firm stance. Every time this, this comes up here in Iowa, like we've been at protests with people from all over the political spectrum on the ground and, uh, just firmly against eminent domain abuse, regardless of how, you know, what the specific project is or what they're trying to sell it as, um, just you, you got to agree with these things. You got to get property owners to agree that it's a fair deal. And if that doesn't happen, you know, sorry, you don't get to use the state to take people's land is, is where we Rick and I come from. Right. I imagine that that has to be a pretty popular issue to consolidate support around. I mean, I, I, I remember living and I, you know, you would just, you would drive and uh, I, I remember seeing, like billboards and signs and things like that saying stop in eminent domain and mm-hmm. eminent domain. Um, so you, so you say this is, you know, it's, it's, I, I remember it being an issue back when I lived in Iowa, you're, you're saying that that's still, yeah, you know, as much still, an issue today still is. And the thing is, is that the, the Democrats and Republicans in office, a strong majority of both, have been completely okay with abusing eminent domain for, for private projects. And it is definitely a wedge issue for us from, from both the, uh, the other candidates, DeGier and Reynolds, because neither of them have spoke out against eminent domain abuse. There was actually a, a bill in the legislature last session to make it clear that, um, basically make it a lot harder for the state to just go ahead and allow eminent domain to be used and abused. And it was very clear that the leadership in the legislature and the governor um, made sure that got pulled so they wouldn't have to deal with it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, so, so I think the people that pay attention, it is definitely um, part of the reason why um, Rick and I have had a, we were included in a poll for the first time and we got 5% in this first poll, which I, to my knowledge is better than um, any non-Democrat, non-Republican candidate ticket has done in Iowa in election history. So we're really hoping to only move upward from there. Um, but I think that's part of the reason is issues like like this one where we stand out from the other two, it's like a, it just happened to align with, you know, the libertarian position when you have Democrats and Republicans that are showing concern for property rights and their legislatures and the governor are, are either silent or working against them. 
Right. Well, what are, what are some of the other um, big issues that you're finding resonate with people down there? Because I actually um, I talked with, uh, with with Dan Berman, you know, Dan mm-hmm. Taxationist Theft Berman uh, yeah. a few weeks back. And, you know, we were just uh, we, we were talking about a couple of different things. But one of the one, one of the key points from our uh, discussion was that, you know, we both feel like uh, libertarianism is the is the default setting. Mm-hmm. for people and they're just kind of forced into this this duopoly you know yeah. what are what are some of the other things you think you know you're, that, you're finding resonate that's a real struggle here because you know we go to a rural area that's been voting republican their whole life and they look they automatically um talk to us like we're their their democrat opposition and we go to <laughs> one of the liberal centers in in iowa and they automatically are like oh you're just um, Republicans that are okay with, with marijuana and, and all that, that I'm sure every libertarian has heard a million times and we're trying to, to prove different. Um, but another issue is, um, well, ethanol, which is kind of connected to these pipelines. Um, basically the last cycle, our governor had, she could have really shown if she was a, principled liberty person because she could have championed damn near anything and she chose uh you know really hammering through ethanol mandates as you know her pet issue um which i think people from all over the political spectrum are starting to see kind of the the basic economic problem with distorting the agricultural markets here um you know it basically leads to it amounts to in reality incentivizing more runoff and impaired waterways and uh, basically propping up this one form of corn ethanol um, over the other options, which, you know, pretty much every libertarian can see the problem with distorting the markets in that way. And, and, you know, especially now with broader food crisis, like we're incentivizing people to grow field corn that's not really good for much besides um, ethanol and, you know, some more kind of unhealthy food options when when if if maybe they my hope is when they're not incentivized to to just keep growing field corn that will grow more nutritious uh, foods and medicines here in the soil here in Iowa. Um, another one, so that, that's kind of tied to clean water, which is a huge issue, uh, more coming from activists on the left side of the spectrum, but where I try to get, uh, encourage, uh, people from the other side and, and libertarians all over the spectrum to get into that is, uh, you know, you're having a hard time with, uh, if you have a recreation business or you do some sort of recreation on the water and you don't know when the waterways are going to be open or safe to use, right. obviously that's hurting a lot of people's pockets. And if you get water from a city source, you, um, there, there's, they're racking up your bill to pump out all these nitrates from the water. Um, so it really is a Liberty issue in my mind, the, the issues about impaired waterways and clean water, um, because you're basically getting triple taxed. You're getting taxed to incentivize the crop uh, that is specifically causing the problem disproportionately. 
and then you're getting tax to help clean up the problem, which we haven't really figured out a good way to take people's money and actually solve that problem. And then you are uh, seeing it in your water bill if you get water from a public water. Uh, and if you got a private well, well, then if you're not doing something to maintain that well and keep it safe, then you're, you're you know, you're, you're basically having a real hazardous situation. Yeah, um, no, I mean. Another big one is I would say uh, kind of just uh, Rick is really eloquent about pointing out local, uh, how we'd like to see more uh, decisions made at the local level, whether that's uh, city level, uh, county, school boards. Like we have a really, it's kind of fascinating really because we have a really sort of unpopular governor, but yet among the people that vote regularly, they go out and keep voting for her. Um, so that's kind of the dilemma that anyone that is running against this incumbent is dealing with. And um, I think there's really an effort to sort of cherry pick these issues that, you know, both sides of the larger parties do it, that fire up their base and then take, you know, executive action from the top down, um, which is really something that, you know, if Rick... Uh, got in there to work for the people, he would encourage the, the opposite to that. He shouldn't really get involved in, um, say an issue as, um, uh, really you can take any pick of things the governor's done over the last <laughs> cycle. And he probably would rather see that resolved in the, you know, at the community level, because, Iowa is really, uh, there's a really dramatic difference when we're campaigning through some of the smaller cities and the more right. rural areas and when we're in like Des Moines or Cedar Rapids. And I think people would be a lot happier if they were kind of solving these issues among, more more so among their, their like-minded people rather than, than kind of aiming, you know, throwing this meat to your base and just aiming people against each other. Uh, at the state, you know, the state level from the, the authoritarian perspective of the governor uh, issuing a decree sort of thing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, you're definitely right. Like she is, you know, she, she definitely uh, governs from the top down and she's always in the news for something negative, it seems. I mean, I, you know, I haven't, you know, when she pops up in my timeline, it's usually not a positive headline. Uh, what, what do you think it is that, that keeps drawing voters to her? I mean, why, why um, is it that the Republican base there isn't seeing you know, what she's doing? It's sort of this broader, um, the negative aspects of populism, I think that have happened all over the world. And in particular here in the last few cycles, like she has still, you know, she's basically never said an ill word about president Trump, whether, you know, not even a constructive criticism, basically for fear of losing that endorsement, I think. Right. And I think we really have to stop fearing our, our politicians and, and, you know, we can, we can vehemently disagree on one issue and, and still, you know, um, work together and, and not, you know, take up arms against each other and all that. So I think, uh, 
think that's part of it. I also think the uh, the way Iowa is set up has actually made it, you know, really hard for anyone that's not a a Democrat or a Republican to participate. So you don't, you for the longest time, people didn't have another viable option besides their, uh, uh, you know, their they pick whichever one is more relatable to them and they stick with it. And we're really, we've been working hard to change that. Uh, And I think we're getting closer and closer to changing that. But like, for example, if, uh, if these polls are accurate and it gets, you know, even, uh, you know, kind of the bare minimum that we, that we would like to see would be that five to 10%. And that would still be uh, really damaging to the illusion of a two-party system. So we, our low bar is hoping to to smash that illusion here in Iowa and break open the door for, uh, you know, acknowledging that we have a multi-party system and uh, maybe making it so the next time someone runs, it's not like right out the gates, you're um, just pegged as, oh, this is not the, uh, you know, uh, you're put on a different, level than the, the Democrat and the Republican candidate, as opposed to, to starting the race at the same spot. Right. Yeah. And, um, I wanted to talk about, uh, ballot access because, uh, my, so, so my second episode was with, uh, well, Michael Wilson and he, he's libertarian running for governor in uh, my home state, Tennessee, and libertarians have to jump through so many hoops in Tennessee just to get on the ballot. If you're, and he, he told me all this and it, it absolutely blew my mind. You know, if you want to get on the ballot in Tennessee as a Democrat or a Republican or an independent, you only have to get 25 petition signatures, you know, very easy, very doable, could knock that out no time at all. But if you want to run on the ballot as a libertarian, you have to get, it's, um, it's based on the amount of votes that were cast. It's a percentage of the amount of votes cast in the previous election. And so while Republicans, Democrats, and independents only had to get 25 signatures, well, Michael Wilson had to get, I think it was 56,000 signatures yeah, and some change. I saw that. And which is really unfortunate because he, I, I've actually, um, we've followed each other for quite some time and I think he's a great candidate. And actually we, seem to be like-minded on a lot of the current issues, especially. Oh, he's, and, he's uh, awesome, man. Um, yeah, and I know how hard it has been here because I've participated, um, certainly working for other candidates for you know decades now, but as a candidate for over a decade now in different races, and it's really tough even here. And then I look at these other states where it's damn near impossible, um, even compared to compared to how hard it is here to to meet the the bars they set for us. It's like I, you know, I grew up thinking it was awful here for additional parties and independents, and then uh, I see it's even worse in a lot of other states. Yeah. What 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 kind of you know what kind of barriers do they um, set for y'all in Iowa? So here it is really the signature gathering process and uh, the start date. Uh, so recently they had tried to move the start date up. So we basically had to go out starting the winter um, collecting signatures, which 
the tough part about Iowa is the elements can be against <laughs> you almost all, almost year round. If it's either too hot or too cold, you're going to have a hard time with that signature gathering. And it was, you know, during, um, during COVID and everything. So um, I think between the changes they made to the start date on gathering signatures and upping the total amount of signatures, um, also doing that right after coming out of of the COVID years, uh, where you know is all everybody talked about forever, and uh, it uh, uh, that made it a unique challenge. And we have fewer candidates this cycle to show for that, which is part partially why I'm really glad that that Rick is hitting it so hard and and showing. Um, positive signs of progress when it comes to, to polling and things like that, because, uh, because this, if, if we really do uh, either succeed those early polls or at least hit them, uh, this will be the first time a gubernatorial uh, ticket has gotten us uh, what they call major party status in Iowa. Because in Iowa, it's tied to the top of the ticket, whether we keep being viewed by the Secretary of State as a quote unquote major party. So, mm. so even though we've grown significantly um, over you know fifty years, but certainly just in the last decade, leaps and bounds, um, we can still fall back to not being seen as a major party if if the top of the ticket doesn't get a three percent of the vote, and so. Um, you know, that either means the presidential candidates or the gubernatorial candidates when it's not a presidential election have to hit at least that threshold, which to me is pretty nonsensical. Um, because, you know, I think I'm definitely one that thinks local elections are of the utmost importance and it kind of makes it so we have to focus on that top of the ticket whether we want to or not, because it's tied to so many other things and, and making it easier for candidates to run in, in local races. So um, it's a pretty bad system that I would like to, you know, I'm, I've been an advocate for, for changing that. And um, I do think we see some momentum there. Like we have uh, a statewide official who's the auditor, um, Rob Sand, who seems to be genuine and pretty good when it comes to um, viewing uh, ballot access in terms of fairness and being equitable to the other parties. So, so I'm hoping that he kind of breaks the mold and we can get, you know, um, people like the secretary of state that feel that way and um, like the treasurer and the um, basically I, I hate that those positions are, are, partisan anyway because um, right. I was the attorney general candidate in the last cycle um, running against just a Democrat there was no Republican candidate and you know everywhere I went people wanted to make it about the partisan issue and the partisan divide where I'm like you know um, the actual roles that these positions are intended to do uh, you'd serve people a lot better if they weren't uh, you know, partisan like every other political race, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's our biggest burden is having that, that uh, being tied to the top of the ticket, which 
I'm hoping comes back to backfire on the people that that wanted to use that, uh, weaponize that. And um, if this is the first cycle, our gubernatorial ticket does well over the threshold. And then uh, then next cycle, our presidential ticket does well over that threshold. It'll you know, that'll be literally the end to the illusion of a two party system. So I'm hoping we're we're finally seeing that on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, that that would be really awesome. I think it'd be really good for the citizenry too. No, you know, no matter what their particular individual thoughts are on, on the issues. Uh, I think it'll be a really positive thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, having, having more options just to me, seems like a no brainer. I mean, if you're a, you know, if you're a voter, you know, you, you want as many options as possible, you know, people don't want to get stuck in that duopoly and and I always feel like they're voting against the lesser of two evils, right? Like they, they, they want a candidate that they feel like, you know, matches their views and that they can proudly cast their vote. And, you know, it's, it's crazy that we set up so many barriers to, to stop that from happening. I know, um, I I know you and Rick are big fans of ranked choice voting. Um, as am I, uh, do you think it's, you know, how, how, how likely do you think it is that Iowa might see something well, like that in the next few cycles? It sounds like there's a couple local elections center going that way, which is positive. Um, oh, really? I think, uh, I, I'd have to double check to be sure, but I thought Cedar Rapids was one that, that had already had an election that was, um, considered kind of ranked choice, but, uh, but, um, yeah, I think there is movement on that, at least in a few of our cities. And I think it'll take a while to see that at the state and federal level, but it's definitely um, seems to be more su- more broad support for it than ever before uh, that I've noticed. So I'm hoping that means sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, no, things like that. And one thing I've noticed over the last decade is there's really not a lot of, there's not a lot of ways for people that are not registered as Democrat or Republican to have a say in the political process at all in Iowa. Um, you know, if, if you have a primary election, you have to register as one or the other to participate. Um, so I think that's, that really, uh, kind of creates this illusion that there's more strong minded, uh, more, uh, people that are happy considering themselves Democrat or Republican than there actually are because a lot of people, you know, do find, uh, the people that find voting to be important, uh, you know, they register as Democrat or Republican to participate in the early parts of the process, the caucuses and the primaries, and then, uh, and, you know, I don't think they're really that happy with what's going on in the Democrat or Republican parties, but that's the only way they can participate in Iowa still to this day. Right. I was going to ask, cause I, you know, like I said, when I was living in Iowa, the, you know, the caucus was going on and everything like that. Do, do libertarians have a, have a caucus or, or you know, how does that um, work? So the last cycle, um, we, Basically, when Johnson and Weld went, ran as a ticket for president, they did so well that uh, that we 
achieve that top of the ticket party status. So then we had our first primary. It was myself and Jake Porter were in the Iowa gubernatorial primary and we got Mm. national attention. We had debates on uh, mainstream media and uh, I think it was really great for the party and for the liberty issues to be discussed at that level. Um, And then we had caucuses for, um, for our presidential candidates last cycle, which was, uh, uh, Jorgensen and Cohen. And, uh, um, so yeah, we got a taste of that whole, uh, I guess doing what the other parties have done historically here in Iowa. Um, and then, uh, and then they took it away, but then I'm, I'm hoping we'll smash that out of the park and, and, uh, hopefully them, taking it away from us will be a thing of the past after this cycle is one of my big goals. Um, but yeah, so long story short, we've had, we've had a, a little bit of that caucus and primary experience as a, as a state party, but that's been a recent phenomenon. Oh, that's interesting, man. We've, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to wrap up here before too long. I wanted to kind of backtrack some, you know, I, I wanted to ask this earlier, uh, in the conversation, but we kind of, you know, got right to it. You know, you, you've ran for office a number of times. Um, and I, and I wanted to ask, you know, how, how did you and Rick meet and, and how, how did you get involved in a uh, libertarian politics in, in the beginning? What, what's kind of your story there? Yeah. Um, I never thought I would step out from behind the scenes and be a candidate. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it was actually, um, there was an Iowan, his name was Benton McKenzie, and he um, he got arrested for growing his own cannabis, and they came after his whole family. And this was when Kim Reynolds was the lieutenant governor, and Terry Branstad was the governor. And I was phoning their office, um, showing up to events, just just trying to get either of them to, to recognize uh, how poorly I thought this, this man and his family were being treated um, and just seeing that, that, that was still kind of how our justice system was working and still the status of seeing cannabis as a helpful medicine in Iowa. Um, that was like my enough is enough moment. And I, uh, ran for office the first time being inspired by, uh, just how poorly that that individual and his family got treated and knowing, you know, it could happen to so many other individuals and their families. And right. uh, that was about 10 years ago. But um, what, what I, did you run for? Uh, initially, I was I was actually just trying to I was running for governor, but trying to get as an independent, trying to get attention to our libertarian candidate at that time was Dr. Lee Heeb. And um there was another candidate, uh, Dr. Doug Boutsier. He was actually in the race against Joni Ernst and Bruce Brawley. And uh, uh, he was just a fantastic candidate. One of the best, I think, we've, we've probably had in the entire country, I, for my money, for the Libertarian Party, because he was a, a well-respected um, doctor and first responder and um he was just very eloquent on the issues and well liked in the community. And he actually, he got in a plane crash right before the, the election and passed away. Um, it was, a, it was horrible. Uh, 
but also his memory really still inspires me to this day. Um, so then I ran for, after that, I was in the gubernatorial primary um, against Jake Porter, and we actually had a really close primary, which was good for the party, I think. Um, and then when, when Jake, uh, Jake won the primary, the party nominated me to run against Tom Miller, the attorney general, um, who's the longest serving attorney general in the, in the nation. We have way too many of those records oh, wow. here, here in Iowa and he was running unopposed. So, so I campaigned uh, my damnedest through election day. I actually got invited to uh, four or five debates, but he turned everyone down because, you know, he was the incumbent and he knew it would be to his disadvantage to, to even give me, you know, uh, that sort of footing. Um, and, um, I think some positives did come out of that. Like he's finally talking about, um, allowing fentanyl test strips. And that was something that, that I thought was a no brainer, um, during that cycle that I didn't hear him mention once. And now, now he is, um, on board with that. So I think some positive things came out of challenging him, um, we finally got caught up on the backlog of rape test kit, uh, rape test kits, and testing those uh, on a timely manner, and that was something that I made a central part of my campaign. And then it seemed like he kind of lit a fire under him to get that done. So I felt positive about that. And then uh, I always thought that local elections were the, you know of the utmost importance. Then I ran for city council here in Des Moines and came in third out of seven people. So I think we're, we're resonating with people and we keep moving up and up. And, uh, that was part of the reason why I teamed up with Rick. So Rick and I, we have known of each other and encountered each other just being active in both the state, local, national parties for over a decade now. So I wouldn't hitch my name to anybody that I didn't trust and feel was really strong, uh, a really strong principled candidate. And um, where Rick and I like really hit it off was uh, actually how passionate we were about like psilocybin and, and psych freedom to, to use psychedelics as medicine. Um, mm. Rick recently, he was at a protest at the DEA headquarters um, and he got arrested for just a, a peaceful act of civil disobedience, basically just asking them to, to abide by the right to try act, which was, you know, put in, uh, put in by president Trump. Um, so basically he just got handcuffed and carried out and it wasn't much of a big deal, but the, I think the press here tried to use it, um, to shine some negative light on him, which I think really backfired because um, the people I talked to, uh, whether it's out in the community or in the on the different online forums, you know, Reddit, Discord, and all the social media and whatnot, um, there's been a lot of positive feedback. Like, hey, we are not libertarian or whatever. We might not vote for him, but we really respect that he was willing to take action. Um, on the right to try a substance like psilocybin. So for a libertarian, that's really like the bare minimum that 
you could try something like that when you're terminally ill. Like we obviously right. want all people to be able to try that at all stages, but but to me, like that's a, a no brainer that we'd be in on on that fight. Um, so that was kind of uh, what really impressed me initially is that he was former law enforcement and then willing to be passionate about ending the war on drugs and obviously allowing a freer market in cannabis and hemp is, uh, you know, the first step, but then there's so much more to it. Uh, when you talk about some of the other substances that are helping people. And, um, I just thought Rick was, it's nice to have, uh, an older gentleman with his background in Iowa that's really broken free from that whole two party way of viewing those sorts of things. Um, and I think, uh, we have a lot of respect, even when we do come from a different place on an issue, uh, like, a, you know, abortion is another big one here, because after Roe versus Wade, the first thing our governor did is, is really make a solid uh, stance that she wanted the state to, to get involved and, and have that heartbeat bill um, right. take effect. And um, I've always come from kind of a full bodily autonomy, freedom sort of place but rick was more from the pro-life camp but where we really agree is that we don't we don't think the state you know making people criminals over such a sensitive issue uh, is the way to go there's going to be a lot of negative consequences that come up from that so i'm really hoping we kind of are bringing citizens together um from both the pro-life and pro-choice camps that see better ways to handle that than, than making more, you know, making more criminals and locking more people up. Right. No, I, no, I think you're absolutely right. It's really awesome that you guys could, you know, despite some, some differences you have on, on abortion could still come together and, and everything like that. That's that, yeah, no, that, that is just really awesome. I I think we're going to, wrap it up here man sure. you know i really appreciate you coming on the show uh, i've really enjoyed our conversation uh do you have any other things you want to throw in before we hop um, off here any upcoming right. events you if know? anybody uh yeah brick will be out on reg we'll be at the iowa state fair and then we'll be hopefully getting um to the rest of the counties uh before the election and hopefully two or three times because uh, rick's really hitting it hard and and uh I'm out there as much as I can when I'm not on duty. And um, I think we should see some interesting developments because I think there'll be some debates, hopefully. Um, even if Reynolds doesn't agree, I think Rick's going to debate the Democrat candidates, uh, which will be, you know, another historical moment for, for Iowa election history. And uh, um, yeah, just check out rickstewart.com. And uh, hopefully we can see this sort of competitiveness uh, starting in every state. And I'm, I'm really kind of proud and honored that Iowa can kind of be like a, a beacon of hope for uh, multi-party uh, politics and kind of just, I hope we start hearing the words tripartisan a lot more, especially yeah. on issues that we can start to agree on, like occupational licensing reform and cannabis and hemp and and things like that. And, uh, you know, as for the other issues, we'll work with the people on one side of the aisle on the second amendment freedoms, and we'll work with the people on the other side of the aisle, uh, 
on the things that we agree with there. And, and I really think we could be a positive uh, voice and some positive representation and hopefully kind of help uh, stabilize some of the party stuff going on internally at the local and national level. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I feel pretty positive really. Um, even with some of the turmoil going on, I feel like we, we got some good people uh, that are putting in the work and I think we're going to start to see results. Yeah, I hope so, man. And I know you're going to be hitting that campaign trail pretty hard when you're out there at the state fair, but be sure to take some time and, and eat some of that good food that over there. <laughs> I already know, man, I was, when I was there, I was running around that fair, trying all this different stuff. So I know you'll be busy working yeah, talking to I voters, think, but sure. I think take dis- some time I think out disturbed to, and ZZ top are two of the, the band's playing this year. No so way. There's always that's, some cool oh, stuff man. to see. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, man. last last time I was there, I saw Lita Ford and Queen Shrike. It was uh, Iowa State. It's a, Iowa State Fair is a pretty fun place, and you got quite the mixture of people too. So it's a good place to to rub elbows with a lot of different voters. Oh yeah. Oh, when when Slipknot was there, man, you would see like people people were dressed up head to toe and. And the you know like all black chains, <laughs> spikes, everything, and then you would see like farmers walking around yeah. blue jeans and overalls. And yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I'm I just like I'm a people person, so I love it. I love walking around there, talking to people, and and we'll hopefully get on you know at WHO and some of the big media outlets, hopefully again. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll uh, we'll see what we can do to maximize these. Uh, results and we'll keep giving them uh, a headache for as long as uh, as long as we can yeah that's awesome well i i appreciate you coming on the show man i hope you know i hope the state fair and all the other campaigning you're doing goes well you know i'm really rooting for y'all and uh just really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show yeah no problem that's uh, been great thank you all right see you later mm-hmm Hey everyone, that was my conversation with Libertarian Lieutenant Governor Candidate Marco Battaglia. I really enjoyed our conversation. We talked about so much. We covered so many different topics and we even managed to squeeze in some fun Iowa State Fair banter. Uh, if you've never been, it really is crazy. Over a you know, quarter million people a day go to that thing. It's, it's really wild. Uh, but if you want to learn more about uh, he and Rick's campaign for Governor and Lieutenant Governor, visit rickstewart.com. You can learn more about them, donate, and they even have a shop if you're looking to pick up some cool libertarian gear. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. See you all next week.